Lord, speak to us tonight out of your word we ask and pray. Great and mighty things that we know not of. Let your heart speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn it up just a little bit, Dana. Just a tiny bit. It feels like I'm having a screen there. Now, we come to the end of chapter 6. The very last verse says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. In the King James, it says, And they heard his triumph throughout the land. And so some say that's the first mention of a motorcycle in the Bible. Uh, a triumph motorcycle. Anyway. We used to do a lot of dirt bike riding, and those Triumph motorcycles, those dirt bikes, they were so loud. You could hear them. You knew it was a Triumph. They had a certain sound. And anyway, you used to say you could hear the Triumph throughout the land. So anyway, chapter 7, the very first word sort of puts a taint on the whole joyfulness of the situation. His fame spread throughout the country. They had great victory, but... Don't you hate when people do that to you? You know, sort of like I got good news and bad news. <laughs> the good news is, yeah, but, oh, great, you know. Wish you hadn't said but, oh, but. But, unfortunately, the happy times are going to quickly fade away. The victory is going to pass away. And the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the cursed things. For Achan, the son of Camry, the son of Zebdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Look back over there real quick at chapter 6. Right before they start heading in to, the, to have the victory of Jericho, he says again, and you, by all means, keep yourself from the accursed things, lest you become a curse when you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron that consecrated to the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Couldn't be clear. Could not be clear. Don't take of these things. They're the Lord's. And everything else in Jericho was to be left laid. It was not to be touched. It was not to be taken as spoil or as booty. They were not to gain from Jericho in any way, shape, or form. God has always made it clear that the first is His. And if we don't give the first to the Lord, it becomes a cursed thing to us. The children of Israel, later on, uh, when they came into the land, every seventh year, they were to give that to the Lord as a tithe unto the Lord. In the 490 years they lived there, they never did. And it became an accursed. Those 70 years that they stole from the Lord, if you divide seven into 490, that's 70 years, they became a curse. And God allowed the Babylonians to overtake them and, and to take them captive and spread them to the four corners of the world. And God spoke to Jeremiah that for every year that you didn't give to the Lord that seventh year tithe, now it's going to be a curse to you. For every year, God has taken it from you. He asked you to willingly give it to him. It was his, but now he takes it from you. And therefore, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And indeed, they were right to almost the day. They were in captivity for 70 years. And so it became a curse to them. And so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. 
Now, they didn't know that at this point. This is from the mind of God, what was going on. Joshua and everybody else thought everything was status quo. They were, everything was great. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. So about another 1,280 feet in elevation and about a 10-mile uh, walk away. Uh, Ai was in the distance, which is beside Beth Haven on the east side of Bethel. And they spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua, and they said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two, three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. And about three thousand men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, and they chased them from before the gate as far as Shephbarim, and they struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, both he and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? You know, he's, he's bummed and he's sort of letting God know he's bummed. And so he's not really praying in faith. He's not really talking the way he should be talking to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. So God, why did you bring us over here? You brought us to destroy us. This is what the children of Israel said for years. God brought us out of Egypt to destroy us. Oh, that we hadn't been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. You know, I guess the Reubenites and the Gadites and half-tribe of Manasseh were right. We should have just stayed over there, enjoyed the green grass on the other side of the Jordan. We shouldn't have made it into the promised land. Oh, Lord. What shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. <laughs> I don't think the Lord was quite pleased with Joshua's prayer. Although... Joshua did show quite a bit of maturity in that he said, what about your name, God? He wasn't concerned about his name. Now, his fame had gone throughout the land. He wasn't saying, oh, no, my fame is starting to decrease because we lost this battle. He never got to him on that end. He was concerned about God's name, and that was a good thing. He was concerned about what the people would think concerning his God, and that was good. But I think God... There's an explanation point. Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? So I don't think God is so joyful that Joshua is praying. <laughs> it's interesting that after the battle, Joshua is on his face. He should have been on his face before the battle. Notice here, he didn't come to the Lord and say, Oh God, what's your plan? He sent a couple spies up. They were all pretty haughty, weren't they? You know, they all thought, oh yeah, we took on Jericho. They didn't do anything but walk and, and yell. <laughs> That's all they did. But they're feeling pretty good about themselves. Oh yeah, let's go up to AI, you know. Oh, AI's nothing compared to Jericho. We just whipped Jericho. Now, you know, this is not pride, arrogance, 
self-sufficiency, self-reliance rather than relying upon the Lord. That's a scary place to be. It reminds me of that story where the young man was asked to preach by the preacher when he was gone. And the young man, quite proud of himself that he was asked to preach. And there it was came time for him to approach the pulpit and so he walked up quite cockily up to the pulpit there and was quite confident of himself and he began to preach and he began to die. I mean, he just was doing a lousy job and and he just sort of made his stumble at his way through the sermon and and at the end of the sermon he sort of humbly prayed and walked down with his head bowed and one little old lady said to another lady next to her, had he walked up there the way he walked down, he would have walked down the way he walked up. <laughs> we need to keep that humble heart before the Lord, even when things are going great. It's easy to be humble during defeat. It's hard to stay humble during victory. And now here he's on his face where he should have been before the battle, but now he's there after the battle because of the loss. Just like that young boy, he's sort of walking down in a humbled position. Now, God makes it clear. Israel, now notice this, he doesn't say Achan has sinned, but Israel has sinned. They have all transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. They have also put it among their own stuff. Quite an interesting verse, that verse 11. First of all, make note that one man's sin does affect an entire nation. One man's sin can bring down an entire nation. And of course, if one man's doing it, it's probably not an isolated event. We're at a very unique time in our history right now with our president. But let's make note that Washington is just a mirror of the rest of the country. As one great historian said, it seems quite mysterious how people keep electing presidents like themselves. Right now, the latest statistics came out. There's a greater divorce rate in the church than outside the church. Evil didn't get more evil this last year. The darkness didn't get darker this last year. But yet our country is darker. Our country is more evil. They're much more easily able to say, adultery, no big deal. He lied to us. So what? What politician doesn't? They're able to wince at something that it's astounding that people can't see through how important it is that our leaders are moral and honest. It means everything. But yet, why is things more evil? Why are things darker? Simply because the church isn't being the light it's supposed to be. If we were being in the light as he is in the light, our church, our whole country would be lit up right now. If we were being the salt of the earth, the whole country would be salty. Well, we know where Clinton was when the government shut down for a week last year. But where were you 
during that week last year? Were you on your face seeking the Lord, or were you in your own little sin? Oh yeah, he was blowing it that week. But were you? I think maybe so. Maybe he was committing adultery in actuality, but maybe you were committing it in your heart as you went off to that movie you shouldn't have been at. It's hard for me to imagine that millions of people in our country claim to be Christian, yet there wasn't a discernment of our spirit that something might be wrong at the White House. I think there was. Right now in our room here, there's all kinds of waves going through this room. There's TV channels and radio channels and CB channels. There's all kinds of waves going through. Now, you can't hear them with your ear. But if you get a radio or you get a TV, they can grab a hold of those signals and then you can watch it or you can listen to it. I believe God's Spirit last year during the week when our government was shut down, or 96, when the government was shut down, I do believe that God's Spirit was sending messages. But I think the church was in its own personal darkness and their antennas weren't up. And they weren't getting the message, pray for Bill Clinton. According to the wall builders, David Barton made it note that 38% of quote-unquote born-again Christians voted for Clinton to be reelected. His first act, remember in his first time he was elected as president, as a president, his first act was to lift up homosexuality. Said, hey, it's not going to be in the closet anymore. This is going to be a great thing. And our, you know, our military is going to give freedom to those who want to express their homosexuality. And then one disgusting thing after the next, he did. Being the keynote speaker at gay rallies. And then, of course, his second act was to make nine-month abortion legal. This is our president. But not only were we not appalled to the degree we should have been appalled at his first term, but the Christians are saying, let's vote him in again. And we're surprised that a man who elevates homosexuality and is more than willing to see babies aborted in their ninth month, we're amazed that he's having sex with a 22-year-old girl. doesn't shock me. <laughs> but yet we don't hate evil as God hates evil. We wince at it. And here we are, like the world, saying, well, as long as I got my paycheck, it doesn't really matter to me what happens in Washington. As long as I'm able to make my car payment and my house payment, it doesn't really matter to me if our country's going to hell in a handbasket because financially I'm doing okay. Folks, the world, we expect their God to be money. We expect as long as their God is ruling and there they're getting from their God what they want, they're going to be happy. We expect that of the world. But the church is not to be in love with the things of this world. Clinton sinned, but we might as well say America sinned. America is touching the accursed things as well as Bill Clinton. America is doing as much lusting 
as much fornication, as much adultery. There's as much immorality going on in the church, outside the church, in the whole of America as there is in the White House. And let me tell you, you can look through history. God destroys nations like us. Well, Brian, there's more nation, there's other nations more wicked than us. Yes, but much is given, much is required. There's no nation that's been established like us. There's no nation that had a great majority of people that ran the country, established a country, were born-again Christians who loved the Lord and set up the three branches of government because of a verse out of Isaiah that set all the laws up because they were the laws of the Bible. Who for 120 years, until up until 1922, the primers that they used were based on learning all reading, writing, arithmetic, and everything else from the Bible. And until 1922, that was the norm for over 200 years in our country. Yeah, there's no other nation that's been given that much and has now sunk so low. Folks, we need to be afraid. The beginning of knowledge is to fear God. The beginning of wisdom is to fear God. And to fear God is to depart from evil. Our country needs a light. Where are they going to get the light? From having a Christian president? That's not going to give a light. You can look all through the Old Testament. You can find right on kings. And the country still going to evil. Moses was a righteous man, but the children of Israel were almost destroyed more than once by God because of their evil practices. We need more righteous laws. Laws don't make people obey them. They're just writings on a piece of paper. It's the heart of man that causes man to obey the law. We don't need more righteous, more holy more Christian leaders. That would help, but that's not the cure-all. We don't need better legislation. If it's in the heart of man to abort, they're going to abort babies with a law or without a law. If it's in the heart of man to do evil, whether there's a law that says it's wrong or not, they're going to do it. Out of the heart flows all the issues of life. We have the cure. The world has the sickness and we have the cure. It's the change of heart that only comes the power of God through coming to Christ, receiving Christ, and following Christ. The whole nation has sinned. And I'll tell you what, you can go through history and see Babylon, an incredible, majestic country, a country that lasted thousands of years all the way from the book of Genesis all the way forward through the entire history all the way through the chronological history of Israel you'll find the Babylonian Empire but yet it was destroyed and you will not find a Babylonian passport these days we've been around for a couple hundred years a spit in the bucket and I'll tell you, just like you don't see a Babylonian passport, I think the days could be coming in the very near future where you will not find an American passport worldwide. 
and all will be as one little 200-year blip in the annals of some other history book. Things are far more serious than we're taking note. And what's happening with our president is a wake-up call to say, look, folks, our nation could care less that he took an advantage of his power, that he had sex with a girl that was young enough to be his daughter, weird, kinky sex, in a place where the most celestial government on earth reigns. But it was just brought down to as low as you can go, down to what you see on the streets with a pimp and a prostitute happening in the Oval Office. And it doesn't bother our country. That should bother us. But does it bother you to the degree it should bother you? Well, I think it's pretty clear here. Our whole country is taking of the accursed things. We're not giving God the first. We're not giving God the glory due His name. We're not giving Him the honor that He deserves. And let me tell you how God views it. He says, you're stealing from me and you're deceiving. And folks, that's exactly what's happened. God established his country and now we are not giving him honor. We need to give him the first of everything. We need to give him the first of the week. God bless you who have come to church today, honoring God, giving him the first of your week the first day of the week, Sunday, and we're giving it to Him, the first of our strength, the first of our energy. We've rested on Saturday. We've been the opportunity to replenish our body, replenish our mind, replenish our strength, and then to come and give God the first of our week. Here it is, the first of my energy, the first of my strength, the first of my time. It's yours. That's the way it should be. To give God the first of our day. To give God the first in every area of our life. It should never cease. And when we are not, we are stealing from God. And if we don't acknowledge that sin, then we are living in deception. Our country owes God a lot. But what do we do? Say, let's not talk about Him in the public schools. Look back, folks. 1963. When Madame Murray O'Hare went and fought as she was an atheist saying there should be no prayer in the school and she got it out. Look at the statistics, folks. It, it doesn't, there's not a little tiny climb. It's a humongous climb with teenage pregnancy and drug use and every evil that's in existence. It's just almost a straight up line. And then all of a sudden, intelligence a straight down line I mean you have to say wow our country went along pretty evenly for almost 200 years and all of a sudden whew, the graph goes wild what noted happening in our country happened during 1963 folks that's it that was a major issue we didn't give honor. We didn't give God glory in the school system. So God just redrew his blessing from the school system. And that's what you end up with. A bunch of immoral, ignorant people.
And that's exactly what we have in our country today, except those immoral, ignorant people, for the most part, now are your teachers, which makes it that much more immoral and ignorant. It's a scary place we're in, folks. Things are not just bad, they are worse. I mean, which way can things get more worse than they are now? Have you seen those statistics? Every minute there's a murder in our country. Every 30 seconds there's a rape. Every 10 seconds it's a car is stolen. I'm just throwing out numbers. I don't know if those are exactly accurate, but it's something like that. It always just, my goodness, it just blows my mind that all of this evil is going on. And what do we do? We just say, put bars on the window. Keep watching the same old TV. Don't start praying. Just keep going to the old movies. Well, the bars aren't working. Well, get a bigger dock, you know. We'll do anything but fall on our face before God, saying, God, we are sinners and we're sinning. We're not living for you the way you have called us to live for you. Meditating your word day and night, praying without ceasing. Living a holy and a pure life before you. Whatever is lovely, true, worthy of praise, honorable, noble, that our mind is only to be thinking upon those things. But yet we won't live within that bracket. Now this is the first sin in the promised land. So God severely makes a note of it. The first sin in the New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira, they killed over dead. God made a clear note of it. What, was, what is God saying? God's saying, I'm not going to keep killing everybody. <laughs> We're not going to stone every Achan. We're not going to have every Ananias and Sapphira drop dead. But that's my heart. I hate evil that much. And I don't want my children in evil in any way, shape, or form that much. I want the purity of my church. I want the purity of my people to be kept to that degree. Now, I'm not going to shout it like I am through Achan. I'm not going to scream it like I did through Ananias and Sapphira. But my heart on the issue is the same. I feel the same way about it. I may not be knocking you dead, but that's the way I feel. That's my anger towards your sin. So be careful to think that God's silence and his slowness of anger is not disapproval or even worse, approval. He's not approving of it, folks. And just because he didn't cause our country to fall apart in a year doesn't mean he's not, we're not going to reap what we've sown as a country. We are. God loves you. He's with you. He forgives you. But he's given you as believers the opportunity to pray, to seek his faith, to repent, to turn from your wicked way, that he could come and heal the land. But we didn't want to turn from our wicked way. We didn't want to humble ourselves and pray. It still blows my mind how you can have a potluck and have hundreds of people show up. You can have a prayer meeting and have a handful of people show up. I think we're more interested in food than prayer. And I'm not saying that that's horrible. Don't show up to the potluck saying, oh, well, gee, you know, I'm not going to go to the prayer meeting. Why go to the potluck? I mean, that's not going to solve any problems. 
The point is, is that we're mindful of the things of man. We're not mindful of the things of God. The point is, is that we're more, we enjoy the things of the flesh rather than the things of the spirit. And so we find here, this is exactly the statement God is making. Achan was saying, ah, a couple pieces of silver, a couple pieces of gold, a little, you know, big deal. Dig a little hole, bury it in my tent. What's the big deal? And God's saying, the whole country sinned. You've stolen, you've deceived. 36 men have died. You're not going to have one victory at all until this is dealt with. And I say to you tonight, you may be experiencing a Christian life, but as I look across the church of the world, you know what I see? I see born-again Christians who have a love for the Lord, but I see them sitting under the table, eating the crumbs, saying, wow, isn't it good to be in God's house? Isn't it good to be right with God? Isn't it good to know the Lord? And I just want to say to every believer, get up and sit at the table. There's a feast before you. Why are you eating the crumbs of Christianity when you can have the hot and juicy meat and bread and all that's prepared at the table for you? In the last year, I've, the last two years, each year I've spoken, I think, at seven or eight retreats. It practically wore me out the first year, and I was saying, Lord, you know, men's retreat after men's retreat, or the high school camps, the various things, and God is just constantly telling me, Brian, go tell them to get up off the floor and tell them to sit at the table, to put away the compromising lifestyle and get right with me so I can have them experience the plentiful, the great things, the good things, the fatness of the land. And here God's making that statement saying, guys, I could just let you go forward and just say, well, Achan's an idiot and I'll take care of him on the day of judgment. But I'm not going to do that. I want you to know my heart in this matter. What's God to the rest of us? He says, dumb choice. The day will reveal it. When the fire is put to your life, and there your works are burned up. That was hay, wood, and stubble is burnt up. And all of your reward is gone, yet your soul is saved. As it says in 1 Corinthians 3. But again, God's given us these examples to say, let's experience all that God has for us. Let's only take in that which is pure and lovely and worthy of praise. That which is honorable and noble. As Ephesians 5 says, let's walk as children of light. Let's not even know about those things they do in darkness. Let's be ignorant of them. But let's bear fruit unto God. Let's wake up out of our sleep. Let us rise from the dead, he says to the Christians. And let's do what's right. We know what the will of the Lord is. Let's redeem the time. Let's obey God. Let's do what pleases the Lord. Let's bear fruit in every good work. Let's increase in the knowledge of God. God is telling us, 
to put aside our wicked, accursed things. And let's press on with the Lord. Well, in verse 12, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. That is God's heart. You may say, well, Brian, you know, this is quite Old Testament-ish. You know, Old Test, Old Testament-ish. I don't know what it is. It seems like this is only the Old Testament. You know, it sounds like you're an Old Testament prophet rather than a New Testament apostle of grace. Well, the apostle John wrote to the seven churches in Revelation. Definitely a message along this line. A matter of fact, he told them, if you don't repent, I'm going to take the lampstand away from you. He told them if they didn't repent, they would end up in the tribulation period. He told them if they didn't repent, they would be destroyed, that their name would be blotted out of the book of life. Yeah, God does say these same type of things in the New Testament through his apostles of grace. And he's telling us today, wake up to the church of Ephesus or the church of Laodicea, wherever you fall within those seven churches. Put aside the accursed thing that you can go forward. God will not coexist with sin. God will not peacefully coexist with sin. He's telling you to put it aside. Get up, in verse 13, not you guys, this is in the Bible, back verse 13. Get up, sanctify the people. Tell the people again to be set apart, to be holy, and say, sanctify, be holy, be separate. Sanctify yourself for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Now, I wonder what Achan thought when he heard that. Uh-oh. Or I wonder if he was thinking, they'll never know. I buried it deep. I wonder. But he had to be thinking the question, is it me? What if tonight... I came up here and I said, the Lord has clearly spoken to me that God is not going to bless Calvary Chapel San Diego or South Bay is going to come to Christ with an incredible revival, but there's somebody here who's compromising in their spiritual walk and God's telling you to repent. Are you immediately clear on the matter? Going, hmm, I wonder who it is. Are you going, does Brian know? (laughs) Did God really tell Brian? You know? Hopefully you're just clear right away going, hmm, wow, I wonder, boy, I need to pray for our church a little more. It's not in any way, shape, or form a concern to you. 
Well, in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed. In other words, the word transgress is just he stepped across the line. Here's black and white, and he just clearly, there's a clear line drawn, and he just stepped across it. That's what it means to transgress. You saw the line, you knew it was right, it was wrong, and you just took the step across. He transgressed the covenant of the Lord because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes and the tribe of Judah was taken, and he brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of Zerahites, and he brought the family of the Zerahites, a man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Now, I wonder if Agan was thinking, as it's getting closer and closer and closer, that he didn't just go, it's me, it's me, you know? Why didn't he do that? I think there's that hardness of heart. There's that deceitfulness of sin that comes in. When God first knocks at your heart saying, Hey, open up that door. Let me come in. There's some house cleaning that needs to be done. You know there's that area of your life I've been talking to you about. This morning I mentioned in the message on Achan. I said that you, what you sow to is what you will reap. It's an irrevocable law of God. You put the seed in the ground, you're going to get something growing from it. And I said, some of you have been sowing to the flesh for 20 years. But yet you say, it doesn't really matter because I go to church. It doesn't really matter because I still read the Bible. But yet you're giving your life in an area of your flesh. And all of a sudden, after 20 years of marriage, your wife says, that's it. I'm out of here. And you're going, what's happening? And she's gone. You haven't heard from her in two years. Or your husband ups and takes off. That's it. What's up? I don't understand. But for 20 years, you've sowed to the flesh. Things were far worse than you could see. Because you were in the flesh. You were living a life after the flesh. You didn't have the discernment of the Spirit. Now, I said that this morning. And I wish I could say I only had one person come up. I had many people come up, several. They came up and said, with tears, my husband left me, upped and left me. Why wife just upped and left me? Just like you said, I haven't heard from him in two years. Good people. Wonderful people. But yet they're comparing themselves amongst themselves. I'm as good as all the rest of the Christians down at the church. And this is not wise. I also said that there's those people that continue to live that compromising life. Putting their eyes on things that causes them to lust and to covet. Causing them not to be drawn near to Christ, but drawn near to a more fleshly life. And all of a sudden, one day, your 15-year-old kid says, Go to hell, Mom and Dad, and you haven't seen him in two years. Oh, wow, he's a rotten kid. Is it? That's the only problem? 
Or is it all those times you said, we're holy, man, we're Christians, we're living for the Lord, but don't tell anybody we're going to the R-rated movie. Oh man, we're lovers of God, but don't let anybody know that we rented this video. The church people wouldn't understand, you know. Is that what's going on? You gals have watched those 20 years of soap opera, lying, adultery, fornication, cheating, deceit. I don't know if there's ever been one attribute in one of those soap operas that you could ever say was good. I think you'd have to watch thousands of hours of soap opera to say, look, right there, somebody finally told the truth. But yet, in the name of entertainment, in the name of relaxation, in the name of this is interesting, in the name of I need to know what the world's experiencing so I can better witness to them, you filled your life up with garbage. And we think, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really affect anything. And God has allowed one thing to fall apart and another thing to fall apart and another thing to fall apart and it's getting closer and closer until your whole life is falling apart and you're going, can't be that. <laughs> it can't be that. It can't be the silver and gold I've got buried back under my tent. I know it's getting close to me, but it must be somebody else in my family. It can't be me. I think that's what Achan was thinking. Oh, it can't be that little thing. A little bit of gold and silver I took from Jericho. Surely God is not thinking about that. Surely 36 men didn't die because of that. Surely God said we're not going to have no victory because of that. Nah, can't be. And then it comes down to Zab Zabdi. And he's going, uh-oh, maybe it is that. And in verse 18, then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Now, this was a long, lengthy process that probably cost $40 million. If you don't know, that's how much it costs to, with the hearings of Clinton and all that. But anyway, so Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. I think you have to stop here at verse 19 and take a note. Remember Galatians 6 says, If anyone's ever taken in a fault, let you who are spiritual, what? Restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. You can't help but to see that spirit of gentleness upon, upon Joshua here in verse 19. He doesn't say, Achan, you're going to be Achan. <laughs> he doesn't say this is it man you are the turkey 
You made us sit here all day and try to figure it out. Why didn't you just come forward? With such gentleness, he says, come clean. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw, number one, the spoils of the beautiful Babylon garment, the 200 shekels of silver, and the wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I, number two, coveted or desired them. And then number three, I took them. And number four, they were hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. We find this continually, the pattern of how sin comes about in your life. You first see it. You'll, you start being led by the flesh rather than by the Spirit. Ecclesiastes says the eye can never be filled up. You can never say, well, once I get one look at it, that's it. Then I understand what it's all about. It never happens. Guys subscribe to the Playboy and Penthouse books years after years after years after years after years. They don't say, well, just see what one Playboy bunny looks like and that'll be it. I'll know what it's all about. It doesn't work that way. The flesh is never satisfied. Well, I'm just going to covet this one time and do that thing I shouldn't do and then I'll know what it's all about. No, it won't. Covetous never stops. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that when you give yourself over to the flesh, you start that desire process taking place, it's going to entice you. And then as you give yourself into that process, then it's going to give birth. And when that sin is fully grown, it's going to bring forth death. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. You cannot say, well, I look at that, but it doesn't affect my life. Oh, I do that, but that doesn't affect my life. Oh, well, I think that way, but that's not the way I live for God. It's just not going to be true. You fight the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They're warring against one another. You don't do what you wish. What do you mean you don't do what you wish? Your decision-making process, the work of your mind, the step you will take is what you've been doing in your life. If you're giving yourself to the flesh, you're gonna, the next step you're going to make is going to be a step in the flesh. If you're giving yourself to the things of the Spirit, the next step you're going to make is going to be in the Spirit. If you're feeding the flesh, what's going to come out your mouth is the works of the flesh. If you're feeding the Spirit, what's going to come out your mouth is the things of the Spirit. We are not self-strength individuals. What you give yourself is what you're going to, is the way you're going to live, is the way you're going to walk. He took them. How did He take them? By rationalization and by reclassification. Aiken says, when I saw the spoil, God never called it the spoil. God called it silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron that were consecrated to the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Achan said, well, it's really not that. It's not what you're calling. I know it looks like I'm living with this person in fornication, but it's really not what you think. We never planned on moving in together, but, you know, she couldn't afford her apartment. And then I said, well, stay with me a couple days. And, and it's been three years. 
It's not what you think. Just because we're sleeping in the same bed, just because we're having sex, it doesn't mean we're living together. It's really, she's just temporarily living with me for three years. Oh, oh, I understand. Yours is a totally different situation. Have you ever noticed how everybody is an exception to the rule? I'm an exception. That's justification. It's reclassification. Our country doesn't have adultery. We have affairs. We don't have drunkards. We have people with a disease of drinking. We don't have drug addicts. We have people with a weakness. It's sin. It's just as brutal. It's just as destroying. Reclassify it however you want. Under entertainment, relaxation, my hobby, the way I was raised, I really enjoy it. <laughs> However you want to classify it, it's still sin that's stunning you, that's sickening you, that's hindering you from experiencing what God has for you to experience. And as always, we hide the sin. Proverbs says, He who hides his sin shall not prosper. It's not until we confess that sin and call it sin. If you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself and the truth isn't in you. But if you confess your sin, He's faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now this morning, if you weren't here, I taught on these verses. encourage you to get that message. It's in much more detail. And in verse 22... So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it. They took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkey, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. So they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there this day, not our day, but the day that Joshua is writing this. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, therefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor to this day. Wow, Brian, that's really heavy. That's really severe. He repented. Yes, he did. Very possibly will be seen Achan in heaven. Revelation says we're all given a new name, and I'm sure he's going to be glad. <laughs> But we've got to remember the consequences of sin are heavy. Right after God says, restore those in a spirit of gentleness, there in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, he says, but don't be deceived. Paint the whole picture. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. If you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you'll reap corruption. The word corruption is that of a, a corroding tooth. Causing 
your whole mouth to rot, causing gangrene to begin. Corruption is underground, but it's beginning to grow. It's beginning to affect more and more and more. But if you sow to the Spirit, you reap everlasting life. Eternal life is just not a length of time. It's also a quality of life. The Bible says that we can exercise ourselves to godliness, and this is not good just for now, but also for the time to come. You can now give yourself over to godly things, and it won't be vain and empty like the things of this world. You'll be able to take it with you as a treasure into the new kingdom where you live for all of eternity. That's why it's so important we sow to the Spirit. Then we're going to reap things of the Spirit. Instead of a, after 20 years, your wife getting up saying, forget you, I'm out of here. In 20 years, your wife comes and says, I'm so thankful for you. What a gift of God you are to me. Instead of your kids getting up going to hell with you, as the proverb says, they rise up and they praise you and they bless you. And they say, wow, God has blessed me with such wonderful, godly parents with a tremendous example of honor, of integrity, of purity, of honesty, of love. Wow. 20 years of sowing good seed. What a forest of vegetation we will have. Acres of beautiful, fruitful orchards. Fields as far as the eye can see, green and lush and wonderful. 20 years of sin. Yikes. What a Mojave Desert that's going to be. <laughs> what a life of hardship. Proverbs 13, 50, 15. The way of the transgressor or the way of the unfaithful is hard. I tell my kids quite often, choose the Lord. Obey Him. Do things His way. Life is harder than you ever can imagine if you don't follow Him. Life is sweeter than your imagination can ever imagine if you follow Him. And I say to you today, choose that smooth path. Let the Lord direct you in that smooth path. Don't make a cataclysmic day have to come. Don't make there have to be a day where stones come piling down on your head where the fire begins to burn you up and your whole family gets destroyed. Remember it says in Deuteronomy 24:16 that a son would not be destroyed because of his father's sin. But yet here the sons and daughters of Achan are destroyed. Why? Because I believe Achan brought them in to his sin. How many dads have introduced their kids to pornography? How many dads have introduced their kids to drinking? How many parents have introduced their kids to a compromising, shallow, lukewarm Christian life? Telling their kids, following the same example. How many parents have gone home and poo-pooed the church and the people at church? Oh, so-and-so, I can't stand them. Let's go to second service next week so we don't have to see them. Oh, you know... Brian has good things to say, but I wish he could learn how to preach shorter. 
John may be good-looking, but boy, he knows it. And he's so prideful up there during leading worship. And there you're poisoning your own children. Sorry, John. <laughs> Didn't plan that example, John. Well, you're a good-looking guy, though. But I, I don't think you know it. Get back to the point. <laughs> the point is you're poisoning your own well. You're destroying your own children before they even get to the place where they can be fruitful. Be careful. The rocks don't just fall on you. They also will fall on your family. And you won't just curse yourself. You'll curse the whole church. 1 Corinthians 5 says, don't you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, we're one body, many members. One's a hand, one's a foot, one's an eye. If the one body, part of the body hurts, what happens? The whole body is injured. The whole body suffers. If you are living a compromising, lukewarm life, what's going to happen? It's going to affect everybody. Well, okay feel that way, I'll just leave the church. I don't want to pollute you. That's great. Cut off the right hand. Now we're, we have one hand. That's, that's, that's a great idea. No, the answer isn't you're not holy enough, so leave all the holy people alone. That's not the answer. The answer is get holy and cause your light, cause your saltiness to cause others to be more holy, to be more salty, that we would all be pushed forward spiritually because of your example. That's the answer. Well, in chapter 8, let me make one more footnote in chapter 7. That valley of Achor is mentioned twice more in Scripture, in Isaiah and in Hosea. And by the way, God made that valley a fruitful place, a blessed place. You may be able to look back now that you're serving the Lord and you're planning to the things of the Spirit and you look back over that old life and it looks like the Mojave Desert. But as you begin to sow in the things of the Spirit, God will cause things to grow there in that place that once was death and dead and horrible weeds and cactus and everything. God will cause it to grow and become a fruitful valley. You can read about it in Isaiah and Hosea. Well, in chapter 8, Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people and his city and his land. You shall do to Ai and to its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourself. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So. Achan could have just waited one more day. One more day. He could have had the spoil. Because he wasn't willing to honor the Lord and give God the first, he ended up being destroyed. But if he could have waited in God's perfect timing, what he desired, he would have had. God 
has his timing as well as his ways. Now notice verse 3. So Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. He commanded them, saying, Behold, you will lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. So do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and I will come about, it'll come about when they come out against us as at the first, that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore we will flee before them. Then you shall arise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Now listen to that last little bit of verse 8. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I've commanded you. Remember back in chapter 7, verse 3. The spies returned and said, just three, two to 3,000 men, let's go up and, and, and fight against them. Notice that Joshua did not inquire of the Lord. Joshua was a very meek man. He was a very quiet man. He was not the type of man to push himself forward to be a leader. But he was also, that was a strength of his, he was a humble man. But unfortunately a weakness of his is that he was inside, I believe, a prideful man. Inside he was a man who was self-sufficient and self-reliant. God made it clear that he needed to wait on his instruction. Joshua doesn't even think, I need God's instruction. Let's just go up and fight against Ai, no problem, we'll take him on and win. But now, God says, okay, Joshua, don't be afraid of Ai. It wasn't Ai that whipped you, it was not having my plan that caused you to be defeated. You see, he thought, oh, I can just go up to Ai like the world says you go up against Ai, just a regular military plan. But God said it won't work. What you have to do is you've got to get 30,000 people and you, they have to hide out. There has to be an ambush set up. This is God's plan for this particular city on this particular day. And as they come out against you, then those 30,000 people come in from out of hiding, they burn the city, and then you trap them on each side. You got them right in the middle. And of course, God's plan always works. Oh, that we would see that we're not sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as coming from ourselves, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. That we would realize apart from Him, we can do nothing. There's no fruit that can be born unless we are abiding in Christ. He abiding in us and we abiding in His Word. Unless there is that intimacy and fellowship with Christ, it's not going to happen. But yet, how often do we look at the Christians around us saying, well, I'm in the Bible as much as they're in the Bible. I'm as fruitful as they are, so I must be pretty fruitful. No. Get your eyes on the Lord. See what His Word says. His Word says to meditate in it day and night. His Word says to pray without ceasing. His Word says to be poor in spirit. That's what His Bible says. That's the way you need to be. Get your eyes on Jesus. Follow the example of Apostle Paul. Follow his pattern of life. 
and quit looking at the people around you. They may be a horrible example. Don't let man stumble you. Get your eyes on Jesus and get your eyes upon what his word says you need to be. Get his instruction. Get his way of life. Follow Jesus' pattern and Paul's pattern of lifestyle. They're there for examples for you. Well, in chapter 8, verse 9, Joshua therefore sent them out and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people and Joshua rose early in the morning, something we hear time and time again, a pattern we all need in our life. And he mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people of the war who were with him went up and drew near, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men, and they set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened, when the king of Ai saw it, the men of the city hastened and rose early and went out against Israel to the battle, he and all his people, and at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel made as if it were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the Ai were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city and opened and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was he had in his hand towards the city. So those in ambush arose quickly, out of their place they ran as soon as they had stretched as soon as he had stretched out his hand and they entered the city and took it and hastened to set the city on fire and when the men of ai looked behind them and they saw and behold the smoke of the city ascended to heaven so that they had no power to flee this way or that way the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers now when joshua and all israel saw the ambush and taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended they turned back and struck down the men of Ai and the others came out of the city against them so they were caught in the midst of Israel some on this side and some on that side and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape but the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua and it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slain all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they pursued them, and when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they, had, they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until they had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on the tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree 
cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a heap of stones that remains to this day. Now in verse 30, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. Now if you remember back in Deuteronomy 27, verse 11, and then all the way through Deuteronomy chapter 28, God had told them, you are going to get to Mount Ebal. Mount Ebal is almost the exact center of Israel. And he said, when you get there, you're going to split the people up. And he gave them according to the tribes. You can read in Deuteronomy 27, verse 11. And on one side, Mount Ebal, they would proclaim the cursings. And then on the other side, on Mount Gerizim, they would pronounce the blessings. And it's a valley in between, and there's this natural amphitheater. And the people, as many could come, would be down in that valley. And as they would shout back and forth, the various cursings and the various blessings as they would quote the word of God, what would happen is this, is the people would say, Amen. Imagine three million people saying, Amen. What a thunderous noise in that natural amphitheater. What a austere and wonderful place that would have been to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed. Of course, it would have been in Hebrew, so you wouldn't have understood it. But... Uh, had you known Hebrew, it would have been a neat time. So, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses. Notice now where they go after this victory. They go back to the word of God. Remember, as we had talked before, often the worst defeats come after great victories. Why? Because we get the pride of heart. We get the ease of mind. We're going, all right, man, things are going my way. And we have a tendency at that point, instead of keeping the tension of seeking the face of God and making sure our flesh is kept under and we're walking in the Spirit, we just say, man, everything I do is blessed. And we lighten up and then we end up making those choices towards the flesh rather than towards the things of the Spirit. And so here, this time after the victory, he immediately turns to the word of God. And there on the altar of the whole stones, over which no man has welded any iron tool, he obeys the word of God. He goes to the word of God. He obeys the word of God. They offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings, which is fellowship. After the victory, they come back and they fellowship with the Lord. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. So what does Joshua do? He now, there at the stones of Mount Ebal, he begins to chisel out the writings of Moses. Whether it was just Deuteronomy chapter 28, that which they would say, the blessings and the curses, or whether it was the whole uh, writings from Genesis forward, we don't know. But either way, it was a quite a bit of writing to do. So now there's downtime. The downtime is what? In the Word of God. It's not downtime in the flesh. It's downtime in the Word. And there Joshua is at work, what? Being in the Word of God. Proclaiming the Word of God before the people. Writing out God's Word. Then all of Israel 
with their elders and the officers and the judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, and bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them were in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterwards he read all of the words of the law the blessings and the cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law there was not a word of all that moses had commanded which joshua did not read before all the congregation of israel with the women the little ones and the strangers who were living among them so where do they go they go to the word of god everybody the old the young the children everybody is directed back to the Word of God. Let's rejoice in our victories, but let's get back into the Word of God and look to God for more victory. Unfortunately, chapter 9, Joshua doesn't inquire of the Lord again. Amazes me how he hits another situation and instead of going by hearing what the Spirit of God's saying, he judges it the best he can according to what he sees. And what a horrible failure. And by the way, this mistake is going to cause Israel to be doomed, not a right away, but hundreds of years later, the whole country of Israel gets polluted and destroyed because of the next mistake that Joshua made. Maybe you've darted out ahead of the Lord. You haven't waited on the Lord. The Bible says this in Proverbs. It says, where there is no counsel, even the best of desires go awry. You may be so sincere. You may have such a great desire, but you're not listening to the Lord. You're not listening to God's people who know the Lord. You're not listening to the Word of God. Oh, you're sincere. Oh, your desires are pure. But it's going to blow up in your face. Why? Because you're not hearing from God. And so Joshua has his AI experience. But it's not enough to wake him up. The next experience, the cost is going to be far, far greater than AI. It's not going to cost him 36 men. It's going to cost him, ultimately, not in his lifetime, but ultimately, it's going to cost the destruction of the nation because of his next wrong decision. What about you? Are you hearing from God? Are you waiting upon the Lord? Are you letting God direct your path, or are you leaning on your own understanding? Folks, life is real. It may, see, but it may seem but a play, but real blood is spilt on the stage. Life is really is a joy or life really is a bummer life is really hard or life is really smooth this life is hell prepared for the next hell or life is glorious waiting for the next transition of glory it all comes back to whether you're willing to live that simple obedient christian life reading the word, waking up early, letting God quicken your ear to hear as a learner, to receive the word of God, to obey the word of God, 
to cry out to God, to be poor in spirit, to be humble of heart, and then to move forward in the day. A child can do it. It's not complicated. It doesn't take four hours to explain it. It can be explained in a paragraph. Know the Lord, obey the Lord, follow the Lord, and man, it's that simple. Do what God wants you to do. He'll give you the power to do it, and man, how prosperous this life can be. Our life now needs to be really concentrating on our walk. Those who fall, we just have that spirit of gentleness. We have that spirit of restoration. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. The Bible says the intelligent, the prudent man covers shame. The Bible says the man who hides a transgression is full of love. But the man that exposes a transgression is only looking for harm and hurt. Our heart is not like the world saying, expose it. Our heart is, it's a shame. Let's cover it. Our heart is looking to ourself that we don't fall, that we can walk a holy and righteous life before the Lord. Well, next week we'll pick up in chapter 9. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us of yourself. Speak to us of your thoughts, of your heart, of your ways. Lord, we want to know you. We want to experience you. Lord, if there's any here tonight that have been pierced deeply by your word, some here tonight may say, that's me, I'm aching. I've got some things hid back at my house. I've got some issues in my life that I'm hiding from others. I'm thinking it's a sin that probably shouldn't be there, but I'm thinking there's also not going to be any great, big, giant consequences and boy, tonight I've been woke up to realize, yes, a small sin for many years can cause great hardship. A small sin can fester for a long time, but it ultimately destroy the family, the relationships with the kids, the wife, the parents. And I realize here tonight that I can't live this life any longer. God's calling you to himself. First of all, maybe you're here tonight and you're not born again. You've never been a time in your life where you've said, Jesus Christ, be my Lord. And thus, you don't know for certain. If you were to die tonight, if you would go to heaven right now, you can simply ask the Lord to come into your life. Right now, just pray in your heart. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if that's you, just let it express the attitude of your heart right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I am a wicked person. And my sins have separated you from me. And I realize that my sins could ultimately damn me to an eternal hell. But I do believe that you love me. I do believe that you sent your Son to die on a cross for me. And I ask right now that through the blood and the crucifixion of Christ that his punishment in my place would be sufficient tonight. You would take away my sin and that you would become the Lord of my life. 
I give my life to you. And I give my life to following you obediently in the word, in prayer, humbly seeking your face with other believers, living in part of the church life, giving my life over to fellowship with you and other believers. I give my life to you tonight, not to walk out these doors to live as I will, but to live the way you want me to live. I truly give my life to you tonight. There's others here tonight that have been living a compromising life. And here tonight, you also are woke up realizing, man, what I sow is what I'm going to reap. I really need to meditate about this. I really need to contemplate on this. Because I'm sowing in some several areas in my life. And boy, if what you're saying, the consequences are going to be there. I'm going to reap what I've sown. I really need to stop in my tracks and take a second thought about this. Right now, just repent. Confess your sin before the Lord. He's faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness.